my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. A higher plane that I have found, on Christ the solid rock I stand. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. A higher plane that I have found, on Christ the solid rock I stand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, a higher plane than I have found, on Christ the solid rock I stand. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, a higher plane than I have found, on Christ the solid rock I stand. Amen. We have a solid rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. I trust you're standing on him. If you would, take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. trust you all be out to service tonight. I'm going to be preaching on assembling in the church, the importance of it. So I encourage you to sure and be here this evening. Luke chapter 6, verse 12 through verse 19. <clears throat> it says, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of whom, of them, I'm sorry, of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the called Zelotus, and Judas the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which was also was the traitor. And he came down with them and stood in the plain, and the company of his disciples, and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem, and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him to be healed of his, their diseases. 
and they that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him, and healed them all. The title of the message this morning is, Let Us Continue in Prayer. So let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the opportunity and privilege that is ours to open your precious word. I pray that you would, we would allow you to speak to our hearts through it today. I pray that the Spirit of God would bring conviction where conviction is needed, repentance where repentance is needed, Lord. So just work, glorify yourself, help us to examine ourselves in your sight this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, probably there's nothing more talked about and less done than prayer. Um, <clears throat> I'd like to say this morning that I'm full of my subject, but that would be boasting. But what is prayer? What is prayer? According to dictionary.com, prayer is a devout petition to God or an object of worship or a spiritual communion with God or an object of worship, as in supplication, thanksgiving, adoration, or confession. <clears throat> Excuse me, unquote. You know, prayer is communing with God. I believe it's communing with God that we might know His will and see it accomplished in our lives as it's revealed to us through His Word. It's communing with the Lord. Jeremiah 33 3 tells us, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things, which thou knowest not. God desires that his children call unto him in prayer. I want to notice three things this morning. The practice of prayer, the place of prayer, and then the purpose of prayer. First of all, the practice of of prayer. If you notice in verse 12 it says, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. The word practice means habit or a repeated performance or a systematic exercise. Now prayer is not to be a, not a performance, but it should be a repeated systematic exercise of God's people. The psalmist said in Psalm 55, 17, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Remember that Daniel it tells us in Daniel that when, in Daniel 6, 10, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. So that was his that was his habit. It was his repeated, systematic exercise that he continually did all throughout his life, irregardless of what the law said. You know, in Daniel, of course, Daniel is considered by God a great man of God. Ezekiel, twice it says in Ezekiel, it says these words, Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. And 
It says that twice, and Daniel is mentioned both times. So, so that was an exercise. It was a practice of the early church in, in Acts chapter 3 and verse 1 of the first church. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. Uh, Jesus said in Luke 11, 2, and he said to them, when ye pray, what's that assuming? That we are going to pray. <laughs> that we are going to pray. So when you pray, and he gave a model of how we ought to pray. 1 Timothy 2, Paul writing to young Timothy, he says, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks, all that really is some form of prayer, be made for all men, for kings, for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. This is good. You know, God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth, but it's good that we exhort, that we pray, and we supplicate, and we intercede. Uh, you know, in Acts 13, or 16, 13, uh, Paul, when he is on his, one of his missionary journeys, says on the Sabbath we went out in the city by the riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which were lorded hither. He tells us in Philippians 4, 6, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And of course, you know, Samuel told the children of Israel when they chose a king and rejected the Lord, he said, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. When the early church first church was going to choose deacons. Things were getting a little too busy for the pastoral staff. They were getting occupied with, 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 with uh, um, physical things. Caring for the widows and, the, and, and, and those in need. And, and they, were, they were becoming preoccupied with that. And they said, you know, we need, to, we need to choose some deacons to take this so we can give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And of course, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us what? Pray without ceasing. So, it's evident in the Bible that prayer was a regular, habitual practice among God's people. It ought to be a regular, habitual practice among God's people. Your prayer is a communication. It is a communication of faith with God. It's not a ritual. It is a practice, but it's not a ritual. In fact, Jesus very strongly condemned those who had ritualistic prayers. You know, Matthew 6, 7, and 8. He says, but when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of, before you ask it. You know, the word vain repetitions means to repeat the same things over and over again. It's to use idle, empty words. It's just a babble. You know, they have, you know religion has its own little, little uh, uh, prayers that you pray every day. You know, the Catholics talk about their Hail Marys and, 
You know, and Islam has their certain things they repeat every day. And, you know, that, that's religion. It's vain repetition. We're not to use vain repetition. You see, God is a person. He is not some impersonal force that wants us to receive, uh, repeat the same mantras over and over again. We're to communicate with him in a similar manner as we to communicate with a dearest friend or loved one. I mean, when you talk to your wife, you just say the same things over and over again? Or talk to a friend? You know. See, he, he is one, you know, we're talking to him as one who can meet our most trivial or our deepest needs. So prayer is communication with God. It's more than just talking. And by the way, you know, communication is two ways. It's more than just talking. It's also listening. You know, the psalmist said in Psalm 16, 7, I will bless the Lord hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. Psalm 48, verse or 42, verse 8. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, and my prayer unto the God of my life. Psalm 63, 6. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. Do you ever get awake at night? Can't go back to sleep? Let me make a suggestion. Pray. Talk to the Lord. Psalmist did. He said, I meditate upon thee in the night seasons, in the night watches. Spurgeon said this, quote, true prayer is measured by weight, not by length. A single groan before God may have more fullness of prayer in it than a fine oration of great length, unquote. So prayer ought to be our practice of our communication with God. Secondly, the primary place of prayer. If you notice again in verse 12, it says, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray. He went out into a mountain to pray. Now, why did he go to the mountain? He went to the mountain to get away from people. Yeah, preacher, you're supposed to help people. You know, he was supposed to be helping. Yeah, but he needed to get away from people. Sometimes you need to get away from people. I was talking to a relative of mine who's in the ministry, and he said, he said, I'm just getting to a place where I'm getting tired of seeing people. I know what he's talking about. Yeah, he teaches in a Christian school, too. So he sees and tries to minister to people every day. You know what? I said, you need to take a day away from that. You need, you know, the old saying is, you need to either come apart or you're going to come apart. Jesus came apart. He, he, you know, we call this the secret place. It's not a secret, but it, to you, it's, it's a place or a time where you can get alone with God. God wants us to get alone with him. And Jesus here went out into a mountain. You know, in other passages, it says he went out alone. 
A place where you can get alone with God. You know, in Genesis 32, 24, it says, when, And Jacob was left alone. And what happened when Jacob was left alone? There wrestled a man with him until the breaking of day. You know, and that is a, that is a perfect picture of meeting with God and wrestling or agonizing in prayer with God. And remember, Jacob said during that wrestling match, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. But it wasn't until he's left alone. In Jesus, in John 6, 15, it says, When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. In Psalm 81, verse 7, the psalmist said, Thou callest in trouble, and I delivered thee. I answered thee in the secret place of thunder. I proved thee at the waters of Meribah. Then Psalm 91.1, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 5 and 6, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. You see, the primary place of prayer is not in public. Somebody said, public prayers should be short. Private prayers should be long. And the primary place of prayer where you really pray is in secret. It's in secret. And Jesus went out on the mountain to pray. And he continued all night in prayer. Then I want you to notice thirdly, the purpose of prayer. And there are three, three things under this. First of all, prayer reveals our hearts before the Lord. Verse 13, it says, And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon called Zelotius, and Judas the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. Now, <clears throat> you know, I believe that Jesus went out and got alone with his heavenly father to prepare himself, at least as an example to us, to prepare himself for what he's about to do. But as we think about you know, a purpose of prayer in our own life, part of that purpose is to, re to reveal to ourselves our own heart before the Lord. You know, the psalmist said in Psalm 139, verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your 
Psalm 17, 3. Thou hast proved my heart. Thou hast visited me in the night. Thou hast tried me and shalt find nothing. I am purposed that thy, my, my mouth shall not transgress. He's talking about having his heart proved in the night. Psalm 77, 6. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart. <clears throat> and my spirit made diligent search. You know, we need daily to search our hearts to renew or redirect our focus. Because sometimes, if you're going to live forward, sometimes your actions, your words, your faith, your convictions are going to anger, offend people. Look at verse 11. And they were filled with madness and communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. Sometimes things you say and the things you do. You know, sometimes you don't even have to say anything. I remember Pastor Webb telling me one time about when he was in college. <clears throat> I think at Clemson. And of course he worked summer jobs. And uh, this guy he worked with and he said uh, all he wanted to do is sit sip lemonade and tea and sit in the shade. And he said, it's hot, and I'm there working. And he said, he said the guy's just sitting there si sipping his tea. And he said, finally the guy said, I hate you. Why do you hate him? Because what he was doing convicted him of his sin. He didn't even say anything. You see, sometimes your words, your actions... Your convictions are going to offend other people. These people were offended at what Jesus said. These, not what he said, but what he did. He healed a man. And they were offended at it. And it's so easily, if we are not careful, we can easily lose our focus and become man-centered. Worrying about what people will say and do to us. What they think about us more than what God thinks about us. Spurgeon said this, True prayer is an inventory of needs, a catalog of necessities, an exposure of secret wounds, a revelation of hidden poverty. Unquote. Your Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I'm regarding iniquity, if there's bitterness or a resentful attitude in your heart, God will reveal it to you in times of prayer. In fact, God will not hear you until you deal with it. And many times it's through those times of prayer that God puts his fingers on such things. You know, King Asa became man-centered. Why? Because he feared Israel. And then he sought the positions and not God. See, he needed his focus renewed. John Bunyan said, I quote, When you pray, 
Rather your heart be without words than your words without heart. Unquote. Spurgeon said the only prayer which comes from the heart, only the prayer which comes from the heart, can get to God's heart. Unquote. So, prayer will cause us to search our own hearts. Secondly, the purpose of prayer is to receive his instructions. Again, verse 13 through 16 says, When it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. Now, Jesus here, the Son of Man, I believe was communing with his heavenly Father, seeking a right way in choosing, you know, think about this, he's choosing the twelve disciples who would be responsible to carry on his work, which he has begun. They're the, they would be the first pastoral staff at the church in Jerusalem. And many of them went out from there and went other places. They took the gospel to different parts of the world. So, so he needed wisdom and instruction on who to choose. Now, think about this motley crew he's choosing. Peter, who's unstable. Really. And then you got Simon Zelotus. You know what Zelotus means? He was a zealot. You know what a zealot was? He was one of those guys that worked underground trying to overthrow the Roman government. He was like the Hogan's heroes of his day, you know. <laughs> Sabotaging the Romans. Really, that's what he was before he got saved. And then you had James and John who wanted to destroy Samaria. And you got Andrew, who just doubts everything. He's got to see it. And then you got Judas Iscariot. Probably the most talented, the most gifted of the whole crew. And the one who would betray him. Now, now think about it. He's choosing these 12. And he chose Judas as one of them. Most likely knowing what Judas would do. After all, he was the son of God. But then that the scripture needed to be fulfilled. You see, we need to seek the Lord for his instructions for decisions that we make in life, whether they be, again, trivial or very, very important. Psalm 119, verse 55 says, I have remembered thy name, O Lord, in the night, and have kept thy law. You know, over and over again, you, you have phrases like this, 1 Samuel 23, 2. Then David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and smite the Philistines? And the Lord said unto David, Go and smite the Philistines and save Keilah. 2 Samuel 2, 1. It came to pass after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said unto him, Go up. And David said, Whither shall I go up? And he said unto Hebron. 
In Daniel 9.3, Daniel said, I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Daniel had, had seen this vision, and he didn't understand the vision, so he set his face to understand this vision. And then in verse 22 it says, And he informed me, and talked with me, and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. You want skill and understanding in the word of God? You need to spend some time with the Lord meditating upon it. Asking him for wisdom and understanding. In Acts 16 verse 9, Paul on his, his missionary journeys, he's, he, he's trying to decide where to go. You know, missionaries have to decide where to go. And it says in Acts 16.9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. Spurgeon again said this, and I quote, Prayer and praise are the oars by which a man may row his boat into the deep waters of the knowledge of Christ. Unquote. So, purpose of prayer is to search our hearts. It's also to receive his instructions. But thirdly, it's to reveal his power to us and through us. Notice verse 19. It says, And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him and healed them all. Now, the word virtue is, again, the, the, the Greek word is dunamis, where we get our word dynamite. It, it means power, might, strength. So there was virtue went out of him. Uh, and, and God wants to reveal to us his power through his promises. Someone said, a mighty piece of weaponry in the battle of prayer is God's promise. The promises of God give us power to overcome. <clears throat> Psalm 81.7 Thou callest in trouble, and I delivered thee. I answered thee in the secret place of thunder. The secret place of thunder. Uh, <clears throat> the word thunder means the whole circuit of divine power, all the mighty deeds that can be declared of God. And God said, I answered thee in the secret place of thunder. Psalm 91.1 he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the what? The Almighty. The Almighty. In Ezra chapter 8, you know, Ezra, the scribe, <clears throat> of course, is, is, this is during the captivity after Cyrus has made the decree for them to go back to the land of Judah. And, and, uh, and so he's been commanded to take the silver and the gold and all the vessels of the temple worth 
millions and millions of dollars. Probably billions in today's economy. I mean, it was a lot of, a lot of treasures. He's coming to take this back. And so he gathers people to go. And then he said this. Ezra 8, 21, 23. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Hava that we might afflict ourselves before our God to seek of him a right way for us. So he's seeking instruction for a right direction and for our little ones and for all our substance. For I was ashamed to require of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way. Because we had spoken unto the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all them that for good that seek him, but his power and his wrath against all them that forsake him. So he, so he says, we're, we're seeking the right way because there are enemies, there's thieves. It's a four-month journey from Shushan in Syria back to Jerusalem. Four months across the desert, across no man's land. That's about like taking, you know, a shipment of gold through the wild, wild west when you had the train robbers that frequented those things. And so he said, we, we afflicted ourselves and we sought the Lord. And verse 23 says this, so we fasted and besought our God for this and he was entreated us he was entreated for us Paul when he was in Corinth you know, sometimes we get the idea that Paul feared nothing and it appears that way many times doesn't it? does it not he feared nothing I mean every place he went there was a riot just about. Every place they went, they wanted to kill him or run him out of town because they were offended at his words of truth. And so he's in Corinth. In Acts 18, 9, 10, it says, Then spake the Lord to Paul in a night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. For I am Does the word sound familiar? I am. I am with thee. And no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. I am with thee. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1. This is a prayer that Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. And notice what he prays. Verse 15, Ephesians 1, 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That your eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know 
Let's receive this instruction, this promise. What is the hope of his calling? And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saint? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him in his own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world. Notice that phrase. Not only in this world. You know, sometimes we, get, we feel like we're powerless in this world. Jesus said, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. So it's not only in, in other words, his power is available to us in this world. But also in that which is to come. See, part of the purpose of prayer is so that God can reveal his power to us through his promises. Again, Jeremiah 33, 3, I quoted that at the beginning. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things, which thou knowest not. Now, that was a precious promise to Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet to Judah. And God told Jeremiah, they will not listen to thee. But he said, he's still in chapter 1, but I have made thee a brazen wall against the whole land of Judah. And they shall not hurt thee. Now I was reading in Jeremiah, I'm reading through Jeremiah right now, and I was reading in Jeremiah 15 again. And again, Jeremiah, I think, got a little, little fearful. And God reminded him, I've made you a brazen wall in a fenced city. And that empowered Jeremiah. He never quit prophesying. He thought about it a couple times. But he never quit. Why? Because of the power of the promise of God. Spurgeon again said, and I quote, Prayer girds human weakness with divine strength, turns human folly into heavenly wisdom, and gives to troubled mortals the peace of God. We know not what prayer can do. We know not. We really don't know. The old saying is, when you get work, you get what you work can do. When you pray, you get what God can do. Not that we ought not work, but we do need to pray. Are you availing yourself of this privilege that God has given to us? How is your practice? Do you have a place or a time where you get alone with God? Are you praying with a purpose? Might God help us to continue in prayer?